come now to our Bible reading. So if you have your Bible there, please do have it open in front of you. Last week we saw Jesus feed the 5,000 as the chief shepherd, the great and good shepherd of Psalm 23. And we come now to verse 45 and the story that follows immediately after the feeding of the 5,000. So Mark chapter 6 and verse 45. We'll read through to the end of the chapter. This is God's word. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida. While he went, sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now, when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea, and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled, for they had not understood about the loaves, because their heart was hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there. When they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him, ran through the whole surrounding region, and began to carry on, began to, car- to carry about on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he entered into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick on the marketplaces and begged him that he might touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. Amen. We thank God that he blesses us when we read his truth. If I said the words, Daniel and the... You would know how to finish that sentence, wouldn't you? Daniel and the lion's den. You would know how to finish the sentence. It's, it's one of those stories that we've heard so many times. It's, it's familiar to us, whether it was in Sunday school or, or day school, whatever. We're, we're familiar with the story. We can maybe even tell the story from memory. And it's the same. If I said the word Noah's, you would think Noah's ark. And you would probably even associate that story with a picture of a boat, maybe a a giraffe head sticking out the top of the boat and an elephant trunk tooting around the side of the boat. There are stories in the Bible which are so instantly familiar to us. And that's especially if we've grown up in the church. And so for today, I, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of a first century Jew. And I want you to to know that reading our passage today, after it was first written, maybe weeks or months or a few years after it was first written by Mark, how would a first century Jew have read this passage? Remember their upbringing is different from ours. They had no TV or coffee shops to distract them. 
And so mostly what they did was learn the Bible, their familiarity with the stories of God and how God dealt with their forefathers would have been really, really good. They would have been able to read the passage we saw last week and, and seen immediately Jesus is the good shepherd of Psalm 23. It would have been as obvious to them as the giraffe's head sticking out of the boat. I think there's Old Testament imagery throughout our passage today, and it has to do with the book of Exodus. We're going to move slowly through this, but what I want to try and show you today is how our passage relates to the book of Exodus and help us realise what that teaches us about Jesus. In the first place, it shows us that Jesus is the rescuing God of the Exodus. And then secondly, we see that the promised land on the other side of the sea is the reality of being in the presence of Jesus. So let's begin by looking at Jesus as the rescuing God of the Exodus. And we can even start in last week's passage. In last week's passage, Jesus demonstrates himself to be God's great Messiah, God's rescuer. He makes his people rest in the wilderness. He feeds them with bread from heaven. Just as the children of Israel were fed by God in their wilderness wanderings, they were fed manna, bread coming down from heaven. And then in the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus arranged the people in groups of hundreds and fifties. And that reminds us of what Moses did, how Moses divided the people up in the wilderness. And so we see in our passage that Jesus is not only the chief shepherd of Psalm 23, but he is the rescuing God of the Exodus. You see, the Old Testament has lots of promises and prophecies and symbols that could point us in all sorts of directions, to all sorts of things. But what the Bible tells us, Paul says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, is that all the promises of God are fulfilled in Jesus. And so only Jesus makes sense of all of these different symbols, all of these different prophecies. There is one man, Jesus of Nazareth, where all the promises and prophecies and symbols and types, they come together. They make sense in Jesus. And that's what I think Mark is trying to teach us in this section. It certainly seems to be what Jesus is trying to teach the disciples. But as you can see from verse 52 of our passage, if you look at verse 52, the disciples aren't easy to teach. They take some time to understand what Jesus is telling them about his true identity. Jesus is the God of the Bible. He is the Messiah of God's people. He's the one who's come to rescue and to lead and to guide them into everlasting rest in the promised land. And so as our passage begins today, we see Jesus separate himself from the rest of the disciples. They go off to the sea and Jesus, well, he disperses the crowd and then he heads up a mountain to pray. And this should call to our minds the image of Moses. Moses going up the mountain, heading by himself up Mount Sinai to speak with God and intercede on behalf of the people. 
And so Jesus here demonstrates himself to be both God and the mediator between God and man. Only Jesus can fulfill this. Only Jesus of Nazareth is both God and man, both God and mediator. Jesus is the one who prays for us before the Father. So even today, even on the 25th of April, 2021, Jesus lives to make intercession for us, for us, for his people, before the Father. But even as Jesus is on the mountain praying, the disciples are out in the boat, and they're struggling. Verse 48 is a really key verse for us today. Jesus looks out from the mountain. He sees the disciples, and they are straining at the oars. The wind is against them. They're struggling to cross the sea. And again, this brings an exodus image to our minds. The image of the Hebrew people coming to the Red Sea. They have escaped from Egypt. They've, they've got out of the clutches of Pharaoh. They've come through the plagues and the Passover. But now they come to the Red Sea. How will they get across? And they complained about this to Moses. What have you done? What have you brought us to? Moses says to them in Exodus 14 verse 13. Do not be afraid. Stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. And you probably know what happened. God parted the Red Sea, and the people went through on dry ground. Now, in our story, the disciples don't see the waters being parted. But what they do see is that water is no obstacle to the rescuing God of the Exodus. In fact, while they are in the boat, even though they're straining at the oars, they're in the middle of the storm, they're actually safe and secure. Because up on the mountain, Jesus is praying for them. They are protected by God. And I think that's why Jesus waits to go with to go to them. He, he doesn't come and rescue them immediately. He saw them straining, but again, verse 48, it wasn't until the fourth watch, probably about three o'clock in the morning, that Jesus eventually went to them. I think there's a lesson for us in that. You know, there are things we go through in our lives. We, we do face storms. We thought about this when we saw Jesus calm the storm in chapter four. There are times when we feel like we are straining at the oars and, and nothing's helping. This is especially true of our spiritual life, of our battle against sin. It often feels as if, as if in our battle against sin, it's one step forward and five steps back. We can feel like we're being attacked by the devil. He throws our sin in our face. He accuses us of all manner of things. Some of them are true. We feel as if we're unloved. As if we're unwanted. All the while, Jesus has us safe and secure. He's maybe even teaching us a deeper, a greater reliance on him in those times. There are times when we feel like there's nothing more we can do. And isn't it in those times when we have to fully rely on Jesus? Jesus. 
He looked down at the disciples. He saw them struggling. Friends, Jesus looks down upon you today and he knows your struggles. But he's praying for you. You are safe and secure in his care and he will come to you. It may feel like it's late in the day, even like it's at the fourth watch, but Jesus will come. And so we come to the miracle. Jesus bending the creation to his own will and he walks out on the water. This is something no mere man can do. Only Jesus can do this. Just as with the crossing of the Red Sea, water is no obstacle for God's rescue. God created the waters and he can part them at his will. Jesus created those waters and he can walk upon them. He can manipulate his creation to his own will. So we see here the rescuing God of the Exodus coming to his people as they are troubled by water and he will rescue them through a miracle. Isn't that how Jesus rescues us? We're like the disciples in the boat. We're overcome with the, the power and might of this world. We know that our sin will swallow us up unless we're rescued. Unless we're rescued by someone else through America. We can strain at the oars all we like, but we cannot rescue ourselves. We need the rescuing God of the Exodus to bring us safely to the other side. It's through the death and resurrection of Jesus that we are saved. I want you to notice something interesting Mark tells us about Jesus coming to the disciples on the water. Look at the very end of verse 48. He came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. You see that? Jesus was going to pass them by. Why would he do that? What's going on here? Why is Mark telling us this? Well, there's a story in Exodus. In Exodus chapter 33, Moses asks God to see his glory. Lord, show me your glory. And this is what God says to Moses. I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious on whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see my face and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be, while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back but my face shall not be seen. So do you understand what Jesus is doing? As he walks out on the water and intends to pass by the disciples, he's showing them his glory. He's demonstrating to them that he is the rescuing God of the Exodus. 
He is the glorious God who passed Moses by in the cleft of the rock. Jesus is the one who can and who will rescue his people. Now, with his coming as the Christ, in the incarnation, God in the flesh, Jesus is the glorious rescuing God of the Exodus. Praise be, the disciples can see his face. And he gets into the boat with them. Friends, if we are trusting in Jesus, what a glorious day it will be when we behold him face to face. When we get to see his face in all its glory. At first though, the disciples don't recognise him. They think it's a ghost that their minds cannot conceive the glory of God in the flesh, a, a man walking out to them on the water. This is something no human being can do. And so they cry out in fear. But Jesus speaks tenderly and he speaks compassionately to them. Verse 50. They all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Those three words, three little words, it is I, give us another echo of Exodus. In the Greek, the words Jesus says here are, I am me. You probably know the words, I am, are the name that God gave to himself when he met Moses in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. When Moses asked for God's name, God said, I am who I am. Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This is my name forever, a memorial to all generations. And at that point, God made a promise to Moses. He says, surely I have visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I've said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. And so again, Jesus is showing the disciples, this man walking on the water, Jesus of Nazareth, is the great I Am, the rescuing God of the Exodus. They have no need to fear. This God who rescued the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. The God who defeated Pharaoh. The God who brought his people through the wilderness in the desert. The God who fed them with bread and eventually brought them into the promised land. A land flowing with milk and honey. This God of glory is the man stepping into the boat with them. Is the man calming the storm. And taking them safely to the other side. There is no need to be afraid. All the promises of God are yes in Jesus. If he is with us, there is no need to be afraid. He is the great and glorious rescuing God of the Exodus. And so he has shown himself to the disciples. 
What more proof do they need as yet? What we see in verse 52 is the disciples' hearts are hardened. They have not understood about the loaves. Now in our modern day, we use the heart to describe the things we love, the things we are affectionate about. But the way the Bible speaks about the heart is slightly different. The heart in the Bible is the place of, of the affections, but it's also the place of emotion and knowledge and wisdom and understanding. And so because the hearts of the disciples were hard, their reasoning was affected. They couldn't make the connections with the evidence that Jesus was putting in front of them. Jesus made things very clear about who he is, but yet they're still amazed at what he's doing. What he's doing. They, they can't believe it because they haven't understood about the bread. Here is the Messiah of God, the glorious rescuing God of the Exodus, sitting in the boat with them. They still haven't quite grasped who he is. Well, let me say two things about this before we move to close with our second point, and I promise you our second point is much shorter than the first. Firstly, I want to encourage you not to harden your heart. This is something that happens often in the church. So many people have all the evidence. They are sitting, looking at Jesus, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, but still, don't understand. They refuse to put their hope and their trust in him. That's what the disciples were doing. Their hearts are hard. They're struggling to see how a mere man can do the things Jesus is doing. But that misses the point, doesn't it? Jesus is no mere man. He is the glorious rescuing God of the Exodus. He's the only one we can trust today and every day. People say things like, if there is a God, why doesn't he just show himself? Why doesn't he just show himself? Friends, God has shown himself. He came to this world as the God-man, the person of Jesus Christ. He comes to you today in his word. He's come to you so that you would know him. Please don't allow yourself to be like the disciples. There they are in the boat with Jesus. They have all the evidence. But they don't fully get it. They still don't fully trust Christ. It is possible that there are people here today who have all the evidence in front of them. But you have still not fully trusted Jesus. I would encourage you not to leave it another moment. Come to Jesus now. Because he has first come to you. He has come to you today by the power of his spirit, showing himself to you in his word. I would beg you to put your trust in him. The other thing I want to say about the disciples in the boat is this. These are the disciples. These are the men who will go on to establish the church of Christ on earth hugely important figures in the history of Christianity. Through these men, we have the New Testament of the Bible in its completed form. Through these men, here we are today, worshipping God 
and Jarrett's paths. But at this point, sitting in the boat, even with all the evidence, they don't understand and they don't fully trust. So those of us who have family and loved ones who are not yet trusting in Christ, I would encourage you to pray for them, to continue witnessing to them, to bring them to church, to hear the gospel, but please be patient with them. So long as they have breath in their lungs, Jesus is not finished with them. And if it took the disciples such a long time to realize who Jesus is, then we need to be patient with our loved ones. Well, let me wrap things up quickly, as I say, looking at the, our second point. So far in our passage, we've seen many connections with the book of Exodus. And one of the big themes of Exodus is not only that God will bring his people out of slavery, but that he will bring them into the promised land. We've already heard it described as a land flowing with milk and honey. But we can see in our passage today that the promised land isn't actually an acreage in the Middle East. The promised land on the other side of the sea is actually the reality of being in the presence of Jesus. Just look at what happens on the other side of the sea in Mark chapter 6. Jesus and the disciples get out of the boat and immediately people flock to them. They bring Jesus their sick, they beg for healing. And look what happens. Look at the last line of verse 56. As many as touched him were made well. This is the promised land. This is the promise for all who trust in Jesus by faith. All who come to Jesus are made well. Spiritually, our sins are forgiven and our brokenness is healed. In the presence of Jesus, we are in the promised land. I pointed out last week, this is a spiritual reality, which one day will become a physical reality also. We can all know the joy and the peace and the rest and the satisfaction of dwelling in the promised land today. A land which flows with milk and honey. What a glorious place that is. The milk comes from good grass, where we can, cattle can be grazed to produce milk. But it's also a land filled with beauty, with trees and flowers from which the bees can collect nectar to make honey. The way the Bible describes this place is as absolute and total perfection. Here in our passage, that is shown in the way that people are healed physically. But the point that I want you to take away with you today is that this place is found in the presence of Jesus. Wherever Jesus went, people were healed. We can know it personally when Jesus dwells in our hearts by faith, but we also know it corporately when we gather as we are now for public worship, when we come into the presence of Jesus to bring him honour and glory. Here in this place, in the presence of Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, that great and glorious rescuing God of the Exodus, when we come into his presence, we are in the promised land, even here on earth. Let's pray together.